That's fine. Um, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 6 and start at verse 5. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. I, I like to use different translations. And there's sort of method in my madness, I guess. The reason I do it is that when you read the same words in the same version over and over and over, you tend to skip things, you tend to miss things, you tend to just not quite get some of the impact sometimes of what we're reading. So New Living Translation is one I quite like. It's a good faithful translation. Handles the Greek quite well, but also is quite readable. So should appear on the screen. I'll read from my tablet. So Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5, says this. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Sorry about the pinging, by the way, sorry. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on like the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words over again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you want, sorry, exactly what you need, even before you ask him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Father, as we dig into your word now tonight, I pray, will you open our hearts, will you open our minds, Will you help us to engage with your word? But most of all, Heavenly Father, will you speak to us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's a bit of a theme. So this morning I was speaking on Mark and how sometimes we miss the point because we don't really follow what's going on because we layer loads of extra stuff in. And it's Holy Week. So tonight, I'm going to speak on words again. I, I quite like thinking about words, and words are quite funny things because so often we use them without really thinking about what we mean. So I've got some questions. It's always nice to have a little bit of interaction from time to time. So, question. Which country's capital is the fastest growing in the world? Dublin. You got it, Maze. It's Ireland because it's Dublin every year. Uh, see, I thought it might take a few seconds. What do rabbits say before eating all the veg in your garden? No? Let us pray. <laughs> Why did the falcon sit on the church steeple? It was a bird of prey. Uh, I know, they're dreadful, aren't they? And I apologise, I'm, I'm, I'm a typical dad, really. I make dad jokes very often. But the point is this. I know it sounds really silly, but 
when we use words, we need to think about the words that we're using. They're, they're important. And we so often do it without really thinking about it. We apply a stereotype. And I was on a Leaders Away day that I was doing last year. And we started thinking about prayer. And it really spurred me to think about what do I mean by prayer? What, what does it mean for me? How does it work for me? And as I reflected more and more deeply, you know, I came up with the usual kinds of things. So seven days without prayer makes one week. Uh, but, you know, it, it's an old one. It's a well-worn one. But I was sitting there thinking, when the church community really gets to grips with praying, when we pray, things happen. And they happen mightily. But it's not something that we, we teach on very often. I don't know what your experience is, but I know when I can sit back through my last 30-something years of experience in, in church, I haven't heard that many sermons on prayer. There's loads of other things I haven't heard that many sermons on as well, but prayer seems to be a fairly fundamental one to have missed out. And you know, we forget that prayer is powerful. The scriptures say the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So hands up the righteous. Yeah, I'm, I'm not righteous, but Christ makes me righteous. So if you put your faith and trust in Christ, then you are righteous. So you can pray with power and with effectiveness and with authority, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. That's the point, because if it was based on how good we were, we would never pray anything. It just wouldn't happen. And you could look at, at the beginning of, of the Lord's Prayer at, at how God calls us to remember who is it we're praying to. This is the God that had nothing in front of him and said, let there be light. And there was light. He spoke things into being. And this is the God that we can cry out to. The God who is so far off because he is so different from us and yet so close because he came through Christ, lived a human life as well as a divine life and knows our struggles. And then if you read the back end of Matthew, he says, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. He's with us until he comes again in power. The Holy Spirit is present or we could look at, at how, Christ, uh, how Jesus teaches that Christian prayer should be completely different from any other type of prayer. We're not meant to just keep on going on and on and on with the same words. We don't need to babble the same stuff out because our Father listens. He hears us when we pray. It's not something that we're kind of rolling the dice on. There's no if or but. We pray God hears used some Jewish forms of prayer to help us remember, but the aim was to be different. He kind of added some rhyme to try and help his disciples remember it, to say, look, do this regularly. Use this prayer as a framework. What Jesus was basically saying was this, don't pray without thought, don't just babble, but also don't pray without heart, have some passion as you pray. Yeah, how, how, I was sitting there thinking, uh, when you were young, cast your mind back, and you wanted something from mum and dad, did you walk up and go, dad, I want? Or did you go up and say, dad, I'm really desperate for this, please, can I have it? 
it's only an ice cream kid. You don't need it. But please, and I can remember my kids, they, they were almost pleading, praying with passion. We shouldn't be mechanical, thoughtless. These aren't, these aren't words just to say, oh, Father, what in heaven? Have been done? You know, we're not meant to do that. We're meant to have a memory that it's all of us that is engaged in prayer. Some guess, words, I guess, that we haven't really thought about, I mean, because most of us pray in the RSV. We may not know we pray in the RSV, but we all say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy king. Yeah, that, that's the Revised Standard Version. It's kind of the version that was used in schools when many of us were growing up, and it kind of has become the standard way of doing it. It's not the King James Version, it's not the English Standard Version, it's no other, it's the RSV. But what do we mean when we say, hallowed be thy name? I know the version up there says, may your name be kept holy, which is one understanding of it. But, you know, think about it. We say these things often, but, but what do we mean? It's a bit like one of my favourite hymns. I love crown him with many crowns. You know, the lamb upon the throne. And there's this one, these, uh, there's two lines in it, which everybody sings with great gusto. Creator of the rolling spheres, ineffably sublime. Hands up, who knows what that means? Yeah, we sing it, but we just don't think about it, do we? And it's the same here, how be thy name. So, these are words that have been used since the foundation of the church. You find them, the longer version that we actually say isn't found in the Bible. It's found in the Didache, which is a, like a church manual from the late first century. It's uh, kind of something that was put together to tell you what you do with visiting prophets and evangelists, how do you treat them, and, and how do you get baptised, which, by the way, was meant to be naked in ice-cold water. Yeah, it's funny how we've changed that, but we don't think about it too much. I don't want to do that, thank you. But it's one of those things where we sit there and go, hallowed be thy name. Yeah, well, I was struggling with this, so I looked it up in a dictionary. You'll be... So I guess reassured to know that the reason we don't really know what hallowed means too well is that um, the last time it was in common usage was the 16th century and it kind of fell out of fashion after that. But we still use it. And it's one of those things in the 21st century that if we're going to use it, we really need to understand what we're trying to say when we say this prayer. And I think there's a few things that the Holy Spirit would have us notice as we think about hallowed be thy name. And the first is this is that Jesus, when he taught this prayer, probably wasn't thinking about some far-off, distant event. Some people interpret it like that. He's talking about the coming kingdom of God that will happen when he returns, you know? Probably not. Because if you think about some of the words, give us this day our daily bread, well, that's a bit immediate, isn't it? It's talking about the present. It's talking about the he, here and now. It's not talking about the moment when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. See, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And they needed to know how to pray then. And we need to know how to pray now. It's not to do with some distant fulfilment of God's purposes, really. It's more about us realising that Jesus gave power and authority when he left, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go, act, pray. 
And I would argue that this, that the Lord's Prayer is that. It's stressing the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's stressing God's power at work in the earth today. And this isn't just about stating great things for the sake of it. Oh, God's great, wonderful, and then living exactly the same. It's meant to make a difference. It's a crying out to God to say, act in our community. We prayed it already tonight. Do something here. Do something now. Don't leave us with nothing happening. Let's see your power at work. But the thing is, I'm sure you've heard it, when you point one finger, three fingers are pointing back at you. When we cry out, God, may your name be kept holy, what we're actually praying is, God, transform my heart to make me more holy, because I am your representative here on earth. It's meant to be saying that there's something that happens in our lives that changes, that shifts, and that we need to cry it out every day. I mean, you can look at what Jesus said to his disciples in the book of Acts, to, to go and be witnesses everywhere, in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. This wasn't an inactive request of Jesus. This wasn't, come, gather, stay exactly where you are and be happy. It was, trust God and do something now. It was Jesus saying, I'm going, you're staying, live like me. And that's a challenge. That's a big challenge. Praise God for the Holy Spirit, who's the only, only person that can make that difference in us. And with that in mind, the Bible then tells us to be holy because God is holy. That we are meant to be that transformed people. God is meant to be at work in us every moment. Oh, I wish that was true for me all the time. But I still cry out, hallowed be thy name. You see, the, the Bible tells us clearly that once we trust Jesus, once we put our faith and trust in him, confessing that he's Lord, well then, we're saved. It says that, doesn't it? Confess with your lips, believe with your heart, and you are saved. There's, it's a pretty low bar when you think about it. You don't have to do anything different. You have to just trust Jesus, and Jesus will then change you. We're only saved by God's power. There's no other way of doing it, and yet. We're saved because Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live, so that we can start to live the life that we haven't been living. It's meant to make that difference. You see, you're saved not just for heaven. We don't celebrate this week. We don't look at this week and just think, do you know what, it's all right, I'm fine, I'm heading to heaven. As long as I get to heaven, everything else doesn't matter. We're called to live this life differently. Hallowed be thy name. And there's plenty of examples of this. You can go through the New Testament, can't you? And you can, you can look at the Apostle Paul and you look at the kind of life that he lived. I mean, he had it all, didn't he? He was a, a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee, trained, tribe of Benjamin. He's there, yes, I've got it all. And yet, well, didn't work out great for him, did it, in his own view? This is a trustworthy saying. 
And everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all. Wow. He had it all down. He thought he knew exactly what it was going on. He even was zealous enough to persecute the church because he thought the church was leading people astray. And then he met Jesus and went, actually, I'm so wrong. I've missed the point. And then he knew he'd been forgiven. And so, you know, he kind of went, went on a few Mediterranean cruises. They didn't all end particularly well. Uh, I think he got shipwrecked about three times, but... He trusted God, and God always came through. What he was basically saying was this, that because Jesus dealt with the mess of his life, he could become a living example for others to see. And you can see it stressed all through his letters. He says, imitate Jesus, like you see me imitating Jesus, but just do better. This isn't the Paul who once persecuted the church. Can can you imagine when Paul first turned up at your small community? And he'd always start off by preaching in the synagogues. And and can you imagine what's going on? Hang on, isn't isn't this Paul who persecuted the church? Isn't this the one who was throwing them all in prison? Should we trust him? I don't know. What do you think? And then they'd see how he lived. And they'd go, ah, there's something different about this guy. There's something different going on here. Maybe I should trust him. Hallowed be thy name. It's what we're crying out for. You see, I really wish, please no eye-rolling, Jan, okay, at this point, but I really wish that I was perfect, that I was without sin, that I was absolutely, well, wonderful. But the sad thing is, is I know I'm not. I would love it if the moment I trusted Jesus, all of, all of my struggles, all of my wrestles, everything just went It would be great. It would be great never having to worry about it again, never having to wrestle with it again. But I'm in good company because Paul, Paul wrote this in the book of Romans. I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me which is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from the life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. You see, we all wrestle with sin. I love the fact that the New Testament only ever calls believers saints. Never calls them sinners, only ever calls them saints because they are saved by grace. But acknowledges that they are saints who wrestle with sin, who fight against it, who battle it, who don't want it in their lives. And yet, they still find it in their lives. It's been said, hasn't it, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Every day of our lives, we will be wrestling with it. And it's not, a li- it's not licensed to live sinfully. It's not licensed to go and do what you want. No, we're not, we're not meant to kind of go, I'm great. I'm washed in the blood. I can do and live and behave any which way I want. But what we are meant to do is go, Christ, help me battle this temptation. Help me wrestle and get away from this sin. 
God, hallowed be thy name. See, we call on God to transform us. We call on God to make a difference in us. We call on God to make us less and less like ourselves and more and more like Jesus. Because unless we're like him, we're heading in the wrong direction. And sometimes we're not quite too sure what that looks like, I guess. Sometimes we get a little bit confused and we're not really fully over what a good, holy life can appear to be. I quite like Paul's writings, and Paul's letter to the Ephesians says an awful lot about it. In fact, if we start at Ephesians 4, it gives a really beautiful picture of what a holy life looks like, a life like Christ. So Paul starts, With the Lord's authority I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Paul starts here. We are meant to look different from the world. We are meant to be weird to the world. It's about the only word I can use to describe it. We are not meant to be the same. Too often we try and look like the people outside, but we're called to look like the people we are inside. We're called to look like Christ. And that doesn't mean that we wear particular clothes or we go to particular services or we pray particular ways or we follow particular rules, but it is meant to say, there is, well, think about the word Christian, little Christ. There's a little Jesus walking through the streets. There's a little Jesus going shopping. There's a little Jesus driving. We're meant to be different. We're meant to look like we've been saved. Not like we've just rocked up and kind of gone, well, that's it. I'll put my Sunday face on. I do my Sunday thing. And then Monday to Saturday, business as usual. No. So Paul carries on and says, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. Created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So it starts with transformed thinking that leads us towards holiness. See, we start to view the world a bit differently. We start to approach things a bit differently. And it's something we do by choosing to put on the new nature. I used to do this, but no, I'm now going to do something different. I'm going to be different. Because Christ is at work in me. And we do this by trusting God. And the only way we can do it is by prayer. Because I can work really hard at being wonderful. I can bring Jan coffee every morning before she gets up for work. You know, I, I, I can be wonderful. But that doesn't make me saved. It doesn't earn me anything other than Jan's love and gratitude, which is always a useful thing to have, but it does nothing with God. God doesn't look at what I'm doing. God says, what's your heart doing? How's your heart? He carries on, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbours the truth. For we're all part of the same body. See, Paul's writing to a church that, as usual for Paul, is wrestling with problems. So he says, point one, holy life, truthful life. Truth in love, but still truthful. That's a challenge. 
Always being truthful, even when it costs you. But that's what we're doing. Every time we pray, hallowed be thy name, we're crying out to God, help me live an honest and truthful life. Help me live well. Not twisting the truth, but being honest about my victories and my struggles. Because I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, we're not perfect. The church is not a ship for those who are perfect. It is a hospital for the sick and the needy because we all need Christ's forgiveness. It's one of the reasons, I think, why the Bible says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We're all in this together. We're here to encourage one another, to build one another up. And if we don't do it together, then we're by ourselves. And that's hard. In fact, that's probably the hardest place to be. Because a Christian life is never a completely good life, is it? It's not, it's not one that's filled with roses and Mercedes-Benz and all of that kind of stuff. A Christian life is hard. Take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. It's difficult. I don't want to do that by myself. I want to have God on my side, that's for sure, but it, I'd like to have a few of you on my side as well, <coughs> encouraging me. I'd like to encourage others. Hallowed be thy name. And, and by the way, just, just so you're aware, I give you utter permission that if you ever hear me say, when asked how I'm doing, and the answer is fine, Worst word in the English dictionary, I think. Just, just ask again, because fine is a mask that we put on. Life is rarely fine. I've got three kids. Life is never fine. There's always something going on somewhere. So if I say fine, just say, sure, do you want to have a cup of coffee? You know, we'll just... Hmm, hallowed be thy name. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Shall we cry out to God, help us with the things that make us angry. Help us, God, help us. Because if we let anger control us, then anger leads to sin. None of us are at our best when we're angry. None of us. We say dumb things, we make rash decisions, we... Well, maybe you don't, it depends. Maybe you're one of those really cold, calculating, calm, angry people. Yeah, I've met a few of those, they're the ones that are really scary because you're never too sure what's going on underneath. But we're called to be a people who bring peace. How do you bring peace when you are angry? I can't. Unfortunately, I don't get angry very often, but it's one of those things where you do sit there and go, oh, please help me not to be. Because if we're not a people of peace, well, again, we're missing it. We're not living holy lives. And then he says, don't let the sun go down on anything when you're angry. And that's because he's saying, sort it out. Don't allow something to fester and rot in your soul. Don't sit there and just let it churn over and over, getting a bigger and a bigger and a bigger thing. Do what it says in Matthew and go. If, you know, if someone sins against you, go and speak with them in private. 
in love. I'm really sorry what you said hurt me. It's made me quite angry. Please, can, can, can we put this right together? And if they won't listen, then you take a friend who will give you a bit of moral support, but also will say, Andy, stop being stupid. You don't need to be angry about that. That was a daft thing to be angry about. You've got yourself all in a fluster around it. But if they have sinned and they won't listen, then you call the church and you call the leaders in. You see, we're here not to score points, but to settle scores, in a sense, by bringing peace. We're called to be peacemakers. And then he goes on and says, and if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others who are in need. The church was probably sitting there saying, well, Jesus is coming soon, so I don't need to work and I don't need to marry and I don't need to do anything else. I can just sit here and be holy. And it's fine, because I'm, I'm just being holy. And Paul was saying, no, work to support yourself, but do it honestly. Don't fiddle your expenses. Make an honest tax return. I've got to do self-assessment self tax returns. They, they're great fun, they are. Ugh, I've got one due that I've got to get done. Well, I'll do it in the next couple of months probably, but just trying to fill in all those boxes, but making sure that it's done right. Last year I was filling out my tax return and I was really pleased with myself because I got it got done really, really quickly and I, I set it all up and I used some software that I pay for to, to get it and I, I submitted my tax return and then suddenly went, oh, I've forgotten to put that in and I was suddenly in a panic because I thought HMRC was going to come down and say, you haven't filled in your tax return, you filed it once, once is all you can do. Fortunately, I then refiled it and it was right, and that was fine. But saying be honest... Handle your money and your property well. Have the right attitude. Give to God what is God's. And give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But the thing is, is that I don't know how you find it, but I tend to find that the changes in charitable giving, they've, they've kind of almost made it competitive. That we can always start to feel that we're going in with wrong intent to support charities. You know, I'm going to pay my pound a week to get my six numbers because I'm giving to charity. I'm not worried about trying to win 50 million, but I'm giving to charity. Well, the postcode lottery, that's the one that's being shown all the moment, isn't it? Just register your time, it's only 10 pounds a month, you're giving to charity. Hmm, it's a glorified tombola, really, isn't it? You're putting your money in to try and get your prize out. And the salve on the conscience is, oh, I'm, just, I'm giving to charity, I'm giving to charity, it's okay. Well, Jesus is saying, use your gifts well, use them sensibly, use them straight, but not just money. What about the skills God's given you? What about your time? Use it all to the glory of God, because that's what having a holy life is about. It's about using what you've been given to the glory of God. Not killing yourself, but not doing nothing either. Hallowed be your name. And then goes on and says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Every single word an encouragement. Hands up who meets that. Yeah, all hands down, isn't it? We pray, hallowed be thy name. We're saying, turn me into an encourager. Make me a Barnabas. We're meant to speak wholesome words, not sweary or snippy words. We're meant to 
speak with faith and, and to build the church up. Of course, the church not being the building, but the people of God. Strange, isn't it, how we try and build community, but we try and found it on when not having to be encouraging all the time. And yet, how, how often do you feel you get enough encouragement in life? How often do you feel that you've got enough people saying, go on, you can do it, crack on, you can do it. I know you made a mistake, but you can still do it. Yeah, it's not my experience. My experience is usually people are really, really happy to tell you what wasn't right. They ignore the 99 things that were right, but... Uh... No comments on my driving jam, please. Thank you. Hallowed be thy name. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Wouldn't it be great if everything in our lives pleased the Holy Spirit? Wouldn't it just be wonderful if you could get to the end of the day even and say, everything has pleased the Holy Spirit. All has been good and to his glory. Oh, wow. One day... Everything I say, everything I think, everything I do, every motivation, all right, all perfect before God. Well, there will be a day, but you won't see it until later on, when we're all in glory together. But that's the thing, we're there to bring glory to God and pleasure to him. As does Westminster Confession of Faith say? That the sole end of man is to glorify God? Uh, wow. Hallowed be thy name. And in case you hadn't quite worked it out, Paul then goes on to say, well, in case you weren't too sure of the message, it's get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behaviour. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, Forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Wow. Wouldn't it be wonderful if everything reflected the glory of our Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Wouldn't it just be beautiful? Every moment of every day. Can you imagine the community that that would look like? Everything glorifying God. Everything perfect, cleansed from sin, because no sin is now happening. There will be a day, post-mortem, but there'll be a day where we'll look at each other and go, so this is what I was meant to look like. So this is what it was meant to be. We're not perfect, and we never will be on this earth. Never perfect in life, never perfect in community. But let us remember that life without bitterness is a more loving and a more holy life. Life without anger is a better and a more holy life. Life without rage, without harsh words, without slander, they're all better and more holy when life is lived without them. Because that's when we start to reflect Christ. That, that's when Christ in us starts to show a bit more. Because we're not having all those things going on in our lives. 
So every time I would argue that we are praying, hallowed be thy name, we're saying, Christ, come and make that a reality in my life. Make that difference. It's not just, oh God, you're holy because you are, but make me different. Change me. Transform me. Make my life more like yours. If I was asked what prayer was, I'd say it was a transforming relationship with God. Because I maintain to this day, you cannot meet the creator of all things, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and be exactly the same afterwards. You just can't. Think about some of the prophets. You know, Elijah, can I see you, God? Well, you can see the back of me, because if you saw the front of me, you would die. Moses, having met with God, faced so radiant that he had to cover it because other people couldn't cope. Wouldn't it be great for God to transform us into greater and greater holiness so that when people meet us, they go, there's something different about them. There's something different, good different. There's something that's going to make a significant difference. You see, I think that's what the writer to the Hebrews was saying when he started calling the church a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the people of God. He was saying, the people of God are not marked out by their traditions or their dress or even their rule keeping. They're, they're marked out because the Holy Spirit is transforming them is making a difference. It's making them like Jesus. Hallowed be thy name. So let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.